This segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Two Under, Men's Performance Briefs, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour. Worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, and that's a whole nother story. And your girlfriend and or wife is going to love the side effects, a visually enhanced profile. Their Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market and use coupon code ONTHET20 to save 20% off your order at twounder.com. And that's the number two, UNDR.com. Now back with me here on the French Lake Resort guest line is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Tom is also a Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor. He's headed your way, Naples, Florida, for his winter residency November 13th. You can visit him there at Esplanade Golf and Country Club. So start signing up now for golf lessons on his website, TomPatry.com. And that's P-A-T-R-I, TomPatry.com. You can also sign up and subscribe to his newsletter on there as well. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board. He's been made better, stronger, and faster after some recent surgeries. But, you know, we'll see if it's better or worse now, right? Because he can actually see what he's doing now. But it's always a privilege to have Tom as part of the show. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Chrissy boy! What's up, my man? <laughs> you tell me, TP, you've gone under the knife a couple of times lately. How is everything? I, I, I heard that little snide remark about my eyes. I got it. You know, we're going we're gonna to set our fresh right here tonight. We're going right, coming at me right out of the box. Are you okay? That's fine. That's okay. That's okay. I, I, I know where you're coming from. Nice job by your Steelers against a, those really, really difficult Miami Dolphins. In it. They look really tremendous. You know, it was just awesome. Awesome. <laughs> you you want to go there? So you, you want to talk about your Giants? Come on. Go ahead. Let's talk about your Giants. I, I have enough pain this week, my man. I have enough knives in me this week. Don't you don't have to put another one in me. Okay? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, so I'm, uh, so I'm on the tail end here, Chrissy. I've had the the knee was about seven days ago. The first eye was uh, was was last week as well, and the, and the next eye is the day after tomorrow. So I uh, I got a text from one of my students say that they, I I would be the first sixty year old bionic golf pro this you know after after this week. So I'm, I'm ready to work. <laughs> Yeah, so the question is, how'd you deal with it all summer? I know you you had the problem with the knee, and that was impeding your swing, and then you know the issue with the eyes. How did you deal? The knee, the knee was, uh, you know, Chris. It's funny. The only time the knee really bothered me was was on stairs. It, it really never bothered me on the golf course, which which they don't seem to understand really. You know, from the twerking of a golf swing, it didn't really bother me at all. It really bothered me. And it didn't even bother me up and down gradual hills, but up and down stairs really hurt a lot. Um, so we just did it. was a little meniscus tear. They did a quick scope. It wasn't that big. It, the, the harder thing is the rehab. I mean, it's it probably the scar tissue and breaking that up and getting the flexibility and the strength around the, around the area back. Um, my man Dan Villanova at the Pro Sports Therapy in Scarsdale, New York, has been working my butt off. I was over there for two hours today. I'm back over there two hours tomorrow morning again. Uh, he's been really been doing a great job, and I really appreciate the people over there. They deal with a lot of the hockey players and football players and baseball players here in the New York area, and they do a great job, and they've been really good to me, so I really appreciate their help. And uh, Dr. Steve Nichols, who's a former team doctor for the New York Jets, did the knee, 
and he did a wonderful job. He's an old friend and a student from Westchester Country Club, but I appreciate everything Steve did. And then uh, my eye surgeon, actually the kid who, I shouldn't say kid, he's not a kid anymore, but the fellow who was operating on my eyes was a 19-year-old student of mine back in my Westchester days. So we've come full circle here. And he, uh, Wow. I've had some I've had some previous eye problems and uh, and we weren't really sure about the complexity of the surgery and my left eye has already come out at 2040 so it's a, a vast improvement it looks like I'll be able well if everything goes well I shouldn't even say this is going to jinx myself but if everything goes well I'll be playing golf in the future without glasses on which is my kind of my dream so fingers crossed for the wow. first and we're off the surface. yeah yeah pretty cool pretty cool so here we go. Before we get into all the golf stuff and all the news of the day, Tom, I want to give you an opportunity to give a shout-out to a couple of your students. Jack the Whack won again, and your doc son is through to the second stage of Corn Ferry Tour qualifying, so give a shout-out to those guys. Yeah, Doc, doc Nicholas, who did my uh, did my name, his son, James Nicholas, who works with Gary Weir over the director of instruction over at Westchester Country Club, and Gary's done a great job with James. Uh, James played at Yale, and actually, if I'm not, Speaking out of school, I think James has seen years past year at Yale had the second lowest scoring average in the country, 67.5. And he's made it through the first stage of both Corn Ferry and the first stage of Europe. But because of conflicts in the second stage, he had to pick one or the other. So he's going to Corn Ferry second stage. So like, I wish uh, Gary Weir as the coach and James Nicholas as the student uh, best of luck in that second stage. And then Jack the Whack, Jack the Whack, freshman in high school, Last week in uh, 45 degrees, rain, and uh, 30-mile-an-hour winds on East End of Long Island in the conference championships qualifying for the county championships uh, in really bad weather conditions. Shot 79 and got into a three-way playoff with a junior and a senior and won the playoff on the first hole. And I, he called me on the phone from the car going home with his dad. And I, I thought he was so excited on the, on the phone he might pee his pants, but uh, it, was, it was pretty pretty fun and the, and he's he's continues to improve and enjoy the game and it's just it's just, it's just fun when a junior player has some successes and uh it's it's been fun to watch the young man grow up he's just a wonderful young kid that's awesome good for him tp let's talk about some of the news of the day and we saw tiger get his uh, 82nd win and we know what it means historically what do you think it means for him for when the season really gets started in January? This wraparound season is kind of silly, and, and, and you know I don't get it and why we're doing it. But talk about for him in the, in the 2020 season and beyond, what this win and now being at 82, looking for 83, how that launches him into the new season. Well, first of all, Christian, every time we, we get this guy dead and buried in his coffin, he kicks the lid off and he comes back out again and, and just makes us all look like fools. I mean, just – the cat has nine lives for sure, doesn't he? And I mean, I don't know how many he's used up so far, but uh, it, it's incredible, you know, what this person's body has been through, what he's been through mentally, physically, emotionally, and what he continues to do. And, and just, I mean, let's go back to Thursday and starting out bogey, bogey, bogey and shooting 64. I mean, let's just start there and then tack on 64 behind it, 66 and 68 with Hideki breathing down his throat. Uh, you know, in a very world-class field um, and having to play five days straight, not four days with the rain out. I mean, that's an amazing win. Uh, it's an amazing win at 43 years old. It's an amazing win at 23 years old. Uh, and I think that now that we realize, you know, we, we kind of wondered last year after he won the Masters why he played so poorly the second half of the year. But now we know that the knee was faulty and it seems to be healthy. We, we never, we always worry about his health. 
Um, but if he stays healthy, and that's, that is the $100,000 question, Chris, I think for sure. If he stays healthy, coming out of the box with this win, man, I tell you what, I mean, we've seen some pretty incredible things by 40-year-olds in this game with, with, them, with them elongating their careers. But if he stays healthy, this could be a really interesting year. I mean, uh, really interesting. I mean, I, I, if he stays healthy, I think he'll win. I would say he wins two more times this year. And don't ask me where. And don't ask, ask me if it's a major, if it's a gust. I don't know that, obviously. Who does? But if he stays healthy, I, it wouldn't be surprised if he if he wins three times this year. Thomas, we look ahead to the President's Cup. Everyone's talking about, you know, should Tiger pick himself to be a playing captain? And I sort of look at it as the approach. Is there a reason why he shouldn't play? So... I'll say this, Chris. If 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 I'm the captain and you're my vice captain, and we look at each other, we go, "We're we going to pick Tiger. Are we going to pick Tiger Woods right now? Uh, you damn right, I'm going to pick Tiger Woods right now." I mean, and I and I understand the other argument. His record in the Ryder Cup, his res, record in record in the President Cup, isn't that good? But would right. you leave him off the team? I mean, would you leave him off the team? I mean, you know, if you if you're going to put me out in, in a four ball or a foursomes match and you say Tiger's going to be a part, I'm going to go, "Okay, I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. That that works for me." I mean, I, I think you're right, TB. I don't understand. Like, how do you not pick him? Right? How do you not put him out there? I mean, he, I think he's up to number six in the world right now. So that tells you he's still one of the best players in the world. And he's certainly one of the best players in the U.S. How do you not put put him out there? I mean, I know, I mean, the opposite side of the coin is his all-time record in the Ryder Cup is only 13, 17, and three. So he's not a great, you know, team player in that in those sort of events. But I just don't, you know, if it, I wouldn't want to make that decision to say I'm not putting Tiger Woods out there. I think you got to play him. I think the other thing we overlook, and I think it's political in some respects, but I mean, it's, it's reality. Do you think TV wants him to play? <laughs> you think? Yeah. You think for the ratings, they want they want him on the golf course or sitting in a golf cart? What do you think? What do you think they want? So, I, and you think? Yeah. If you don't think that pressure isn't applied or isn't real pressure for the media, say, listen, we, we need him on the golf course. It's going to drive ratings through the roof right now. Um, you know, I got into a really interesting, uh, argument discussion on the phone today with one of my students, a youngster who, who also said, oh, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. Well, the U S team is going to run away with this on paper. It's not, it's not even going to be a contest. And, you know, I, the other thing that scares me, can you imagine the storyline tigers coming off a win? He's now sixth in the world. He's healthy. He picks himself to play. They've got a stacked team, and they lose. How how would that how would that how would that go? I mean, how would that storyline? So, right. I think we should. I don't think we should start counting our chickens here before they hatch. Because the last I looked, the other team looks pretty darn good too. You know, and I know they I know historically they're not very good, but you know maybe odds are in their favor now because they haven't won. But uh, I wouldn't get too complacent about chalking up the victory yet either. Yeah, absolutely. That's how you lose, right? You you take a look at it and you, and you think to yourselves, oh, you know, we're we're better than these guys on paper. We got the best players in the world. We'll go down there. We'll have a few laughs. We'll have some fun. We'll have a couple of parties. We'll play some golf and we'll walk away with the President's Cup. That's how you lose. Tom, the other guy sitting there at 82 wins is Sam Sneed. And most of us have only seen Sam in videos, but his swing was a thing of beauty. Talk about how great Sam Snead's swing was and how great a player he was. Because I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this before. I, I don't, have I ever told you that I caddy for Sam Snead twice? No. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll give you the quick synopsis. I, I, my junior and senior year at Florida Southern, 
um, the Boys Club of Lakeland, Florida, ran a benefit exhibition, uh, and it was Sam Snead and Andy Bean. And Andy Bean was from Lakeland, and in 1881, Bean was one of the better players in the world. And I played a lot of golf with Andy my last two years at Florida Southern. So when this exhibition came up or came to be, uh, Bean asked myself and one of my teammates to caddy in the exhibition. And the other kid who caddy was on my, one of my teammates, he was from Lakeland, and he and Andy were friends, so he got Andy's bag. And, and I was stuck with poor old Sam Sneed's bag. Um, wow. And Sneed was, I think Sneed was, if I'm, if I'm correct, Chris, you can check me in 1881. I think he was 62 and 63 years old. Um, so I got, the, you know, in two consecutive years, I got to carry the bag for 18 holes. And um, uh, Sam was not a very uh, engaging human being, not a very kind human being, but he was an incredibly talented human being. And, and in both cases, it was four hours of just absolute, um, you know, little Tommy Patrick being really tuned in for four straight hours. I mean, hyper tuned into what was going on. And uh, it was something I can, I can recall almost every shot he hit for both years on the golf course. and. Uh, it was it was a special you know two day occurrence over those two years um, an amazing I mean 62 and 63 he was I mean if you didn't know he was 62 or 63 you think he was 35 and 36 he was amazingly long still still playing with a Wilson Stratoblock driver at the time and a bought you know bought a golf ball um, you know he hit and literally I can remember he hit one bad shot in the 36 holes I watched him he hit one poor drive. The first, the first day on the first year, um, and that was the only bad shot he hit. Every other shot came out of the dead center of the club face. Um, an amazing, amazing talent. A, a guy that just uh, it looked like he grew up with. You know, he was born with a golf club in his hands, and it, it made it look incredibly. You know, we talk about Freddie today swinging at it. You know, that way maybe in our generation, or you can pick some Payne Stewart maybe, or you know, we can we can go down a lot of lists of people who had beautifully rhythmic golf swings, but. And, I, you know, I, as you know, I spent a lot of time with Freddie in my life, but uh, I'd be hard-pressed to think that anybody swung the club any better than Sam Snead did. Tom, to your point, I mean, this guy was finishing top five in majors into his 60s. I mean, he did so in the uh, mid-70s at the PGA Championship. The guy was incredible. If I'm not mistaken, and you can check me, Chris, did he win Greensboro in his 50s? Yeah, 52. He, uh, I think he made a run at the PGA Championship at in Palm Beach Gardens when Nicholas won. I think he finished in the top five in that, in that major, if I'm not mistaken, also in his 50s. Um, I mean, you know, he, the, the two rounds I caddied for him, we, we played a long golf course uh, in, in, in pretty windy conditions. And he was, six, like I said, 62 and 63, and he shot 70 and 68. Uh, and, he, and he, you know... And I, no disrespect, but he couldn't put it in the ocean. I mean, he could be put it like Helen Keller, but um, he hit it close every hole it seemed like, and, and didn't make anything. Um, the quality of strikes were just, you know, absolutely incredibly pure every time. The ball was compressed and plated, and, and he could hit it high, he could hit it low, he could hit it right to left, he could hit it left to right. Uh, it was it was on command. Um, he was an amazing talent, Chris. Just an absolutely amazing talent. Eighty-two wins. Uh, and, and and listen, hats off to Tiger. Eighty-two wins at forty-three years old. I mean, how do you win eighty-two golf tournaments on the PGA Tour? I mean, right? You know, it's it's just. I mean, you know, it's just absolutely incredible, incredible number. 
As I look up Sam Snead's record here, what year was it that uh, that you caddied for him in those tournaments? Uh, I, I I caddied for him in, in one time in 1980 and one time in 1981. So he would have been 68 and 69 years old. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, think about that. How well he was playing at that age. He shot 70 and 68 and hit it. I mean. You know, I mean, back then nobody hit 300 yards. I mean, if you if a guy hit 300 yards back then, he was a freak. Um, and he was hitting it. I, I, I you know, I, I played the same golf course. It was a home golf course in college, so I would say he hit it between 265 and 275. Um, wow! With that equipment and that golf ball at 68. Yeah, that amazing. So, I mean, he was just you know, it, he was just uh, he was a freak show, it was an absolute freak show. So it was pretty special, pretty special two days. Tom, I want to switch gears a little bit to the uh, CBS announcement this week that the contracts of Gary McCord and Peter Costas are not being renewed. So they essentially fired those guys. And, and that, that announcement seemed to come from out of nowhere. And I know those are some guys that, uh, that you know. What are your thoughts on uh, those moves? Yeah, I, I, know Peter, I knew Peter pretty well. Um, I don't know Gary that well. I, I know him, I've met him a few times. Um, you know, the initial – I heard uh, Gary McCord do a, a – a broadcast on uh, PJ tour radio yesterday and talking about some of the circumstances he had to be kind of guarded because he's still under contract till I think December 31st and, he, and they owe him some money. So he couldn't really, he was pretty guarded in his, in his, his as guarded as Gary McCord can be in his responses. But um, it sounded like some of the reasons he was given or he alluded to and didn't say this outright, but it sounded like they wanted to get younger in their broadcast. Uh, and then today they announced that they hired Davis Love in one of the spots. So I don't know if, if hiring Davis Love is getting younger necessarily. So I'm not sure if he was given um, the straight scoop about why they were doing things. or And, you know, in these kind of things, Chris, I don't think you ever really knew, know the truth, what really happens behind the scenes corporate-wise. Uh, you know, and I understand that after 34 years, maybe you want to change it up. You maybe want to get fresh. You maybe want to do something different. but. Um, I, I always felt like, and I, I don't want to piss anybody off at NBC or ABC, but I always thought the CBS team was very, very strong top to bottom. Um, and, not, and not again, not that I don't like NBC or ABC, because I do, but I mean, I thought the CBS team was particularly strong and particularly knowledgeable. And I thought those guys, um, you know, we kind of grew up listening to those guys and probably, you know, we've got short memories a year from now. We won't even, we won't even care who's next. And, and, and Davis is obviously going to be one of them. And, and Davis is, I consider Davis a friend and a, and a really good guy. And I don't know what his broadcast skills are like. They're, they're, they're obviously untested. But um, it came as a shock to me, too. I, I, I didn't see that coming. I don't think anybody probably did. It sounds like Costas and McCord didn't see it coming. Um, and they also had Bill McAtee go, but nobody's talking about that. So they really, oh, you know, with the exception of Nance, you know, they're kind of cleaning house a little bit there, you know. Um, so, you know, we'll see. But it, it's definitely going to make CBS appear very different this year. Um, it's going to be a very, I'm very anxious to see how it looks on air and what, what they come up with. But, uh, you know, I, again, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't get the reason. If, if going young is the reason, I'm not sure if that's a great reason. Yeah, it makes no sense to me, TP, because I, you know, I think you can broadcast forever. As long as your voice is good, you can continue to broadcast. And, I'm, you know, all of those guys are tremendous talents, and, including Bill McAtee. So, and I don't think any of those guys have, you know, sort of quote unquote lost a step. So 
I hope this isn't going younger just for the sake of going younger. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're putting a lot of a lot of years of knowledge and a lot of years of relationship on the sideline there. So, you know, listen, I, I wish Gary McCord and, and Peter Costas and Bill McAtee only the best. I, you know, I, I, I'm sure they'll be fine. I'm sure they're not going to miss any meals or anything. Um, I'm anxious to see who they replace them with and, and what the broadcast really looks like. But, you know, it's, you know, time marches on, you know, I mean, it's at some point you're going to fire me too, Chris. So it's, you know, it'll happen too. You know? <laughs> when, when we need to go younger, we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to call somebody else and go a different direction. Definitely get, you can definitely get younger than me. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Tom, you recently went back to Westchester Country Club, a place where you spent 11 years of your career. And, and uh, of course, it's obviously steeped in a lot of history. The West, uh, Westchester Classic played there for years. It's it's now the Northern Trust. People like Jackie Gleason, Carol Burnett, Gene Tunney, Ed Sullivan were all members there. Talk about that course and what it was like going back. Yeah, I, I get back here, you know, at least once a year, Chris. Uh, ben Hoffline, who's now the director of golf, is a, a very dear friend of mine. Um, actually when I was at Westchester, Ben was, a, was one of my range kids. So it's, it's really special to me that he's come so far as a PGA member. He's so well respected. He's a fine player and a fine teacher, and he's doing a hell of a job there. I mean, really he's doing a hell of a job. I worked for John Kennedy there for my 11 years. John was there for 27 years. And actually I spent yesterday morning with John Kennedy, uh, taking a walk along the river in Trumbull, Connecticut, reminiscing. So it was kind of a fun day too, but I, my time at Westchester was very special, uh, Chris. It was really when I cut my teeth as a teacher more more so than any other time in my career, and the exposure to the Buick Classic then was uh, was instrumental. I mean, the years I was there, the Buick was generally the event most years before the U.S. Open, um, and so you know all the guys came in and used it as a warm up site, and they're the best teachers in the world came in, and I had exposure to them for those eleven years. So it was it was invaluable to me. I mean, I couldn't. Uh, ever repay Westchester, its membership, John Kennedy, or or all the professionals I worked alongside during those years, my all the assistants and and all the teachers that worked on my staff during those years as director of instruction. It was a an incredibly uh, rich time in my life, and uh, when I go back there now and and uh, revisit, um, I run into so many people still there that I knew during my time. We look a little older, we look a little heavier in some cases, and a little grayer. Um, but a lot of those folks are still there, and it's a very, very special place to me. It's uh, it's probably the most special place on the planet to me as far as golf is concerned for that reason. Tom, I want to get a couple of playing lessons from you tonight, and I want to start with putting. So many of us are anxious, right? All, all we weekend hackers, right, we're anxious to watch the ball roll into the hole, and we move our heads, we open up the blade, and we end up missing the putt to the right. How can we do a better job of holding our head still so we can make more putts? Well, first thing is this. Let's do this. For everybody listening out there tonight, if you will send me an email after this broadcast is over at tpatry at mindspring.com, tpatry at mindspring.com, I will send everybody a 30-second putting clip that will change their putting life. Okay? Anybody who emails from this show tonight, I will send them a 30-second putting clip. If they watch this putting clip and it isn't clear what's going on in a positive nature in this putting clip, then you need the eye surgery I just had to help you. Okay. <laughs> so, so in your, and, and Chris, you hit it right, the nail right on the head. So, so much about putting is speed control and so much about speed control is quality of contact. 
And if you can't contact the ball solidly and precisely each time, you can't in time calibrate the speed. So the anxiety factor causes people to peak a little early, move their head or move their body. And as soon as they do that, they, they make poor contact. They don't make center face contact, so they can't calibrate speed over time. The brain doesn't get good feedback and it does funny things with your hands and you go right down the old crapper. So I always tell people, you got to just remember something really simple. You got to keep the coconut quiet. So the coconut has to stay still a full two seconds after you've struck the golf ball. So if you can keep your head still, and I don't think that's a big request, two seconds after you feel contact, your contact quality will improve and you'll be able to calibrate speed control over time. Uh, the putting clip that I'm going to send everybody is very, very clear, and it's not an exaggeration at all. People look at it sometimes, they go, isn't that exaggerated how long that person kept their head still? And I say, no, that's not exaggerated at all. And the, and the putting clip is of a 30-footer uh, being struck three different times by the same player, um, and, and the person happens to be a pretty good putter, and it's really clear this person is doing a really good job of keeping their body and their head really still post-impact. Tom, we've been talking a lot tonight about TrackMan, and I know that's something that you've recently started to incorporate into your lessons. You know, there's so much data. Are there certain numbers that you're looking at and you're focused on that we should be aware of and that we should be looking at, and which ones are meaningful for you? Well, let's let's talk about the recreational player, not the tour player, Chris, because that's who we're trying to appeal to here tonight. So I I... Obviously, TrackMan can quantify an awful lot of data in a split second. So I generally, right now, have gotten to the point where, in most cases, I have face and path up, I have angle of attack up, I have smash factor up, I have ball speed up, um, and I have low point of the golf swing up. So somewhere between two and six, at the most, pieces of data is all you'll ever see. And in a lot of cases, Chris, when I have TrackMan up, there's a lot of lessons where I'll put one piece, one, one data tile up only. And I'll say, okay, let's get better at doing this. Let's, if the guy has a bad path or, or his club face is wide open or, or radically closed, and we're doing something to just rectify that one condition, I'll put up one data tile only. So let's spend 15 to 20 minutes working on this one thing. Um, because when you get a lot of data tiles up there in front of them, they, they, no matter what you do, and you're, no matter how you're trying to quantify one issue, the eyes tend to drift. And they, what about, what about, what about, what about? And then you got too many things going on. So I resisted TrackMan for an awful long time for that very reason, because I thought people were misusing the tool or overusing the tool and overcomplicating the session. And one of the great things, and I'm, I'm very proud of myself in this respect, is um, the things that I thought happening in 99% of the cases have been quantified by TrackMan. It wasn't like I was teaching the wrong things all these years. So now all it does for me is it quantifies the number exactly to the student. I can explain it a little more precisely, and I can offer some 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 you know some remedies to to the issue and move it along just a little bit faster. Tom, before I let you go, when you talk about the best teachers in the world and those lists start to get put together, you are right at the top of that list, my friend. I don't know about well, that. I, I, you don't I appreciate that's an, that's an awful nice thing to say. I don't I don't think that's necessarily true, but uh, I appreciate that. I think uh, when I think about that phrase, the best teachers in the world, that's such a hard thing to quantify because I think there are 
you know, people that appeal to people and there are matches that are good matches that are bad. And, and, and my list is very short. I mean, if you, if you had poured some truth theorem down my throat and made me spit it up, I, I mentioned a lot, the name Harmon a lot, you know, and, and all the Harmons a lot. You know, I'd mentioned Chuck Cook a lot. I, you know, I, I, I'd mentioned Jimmy McLean, uh, but, but I'd also mention a lot of names probably you've never even heard of, uh, that people haven't heard of. And they go, who's that? I go, well, you need to go see that guy because he's pretty damn talented. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that are flying under the radar that are not recognized. Um, because they're not social media people. They're not big promoters, but they're very talented. So I think we gotta be very careful when we have these top 100 lists and top 25 lists and top 50 lists. Um, and, and listen, I'm, I'm proud of what I've done and I'm proud of my accomplishments, but there's a lot of people out there that are really, really talented. That young lady had on tonight sounds like she's doing a heck of a job at Medina, and and Brian certainly a wonderful teacher in his own right. So I mean, we're we're we're, we're pretty darn blessed in this industry. We have we have a pretty deep talent pool. Well, I couldn't agree with that statement more, but I'm sticking with what I said. You're right at the top of that list, my friend. Let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, and check out your website and follow you on social media as well. Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, of course, yeah, obviously, TomPatry.com is the easiest place to find all my information on my website. And then you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn and, and two Facebook pages and, and, uh, and Instagram as well. Uh, and I'm at the Esplanade Golf and Country Club in North Naples, Florida. And my email address is tpatry at mind, M-I-N-D, mindspring, S-P-R-I-N-G dot com. And I certainly welcome any, uh, any questions. And if people want a piece of that putting film, just reference the show and just put in the subject line putting film and I'll send them that out, that, that clip out right away and it'll help them hit more solid putts. And for all the people out there listening, uh, Chris Mascara was a little too kind with his words to his, to his guests. And we, we all who come on, we all know each other. It's a very small community and we all appreciate what you do, Chris. Um, we overlook some of your shortcomings as a Red Sox fan and a Steeler fan. <laughs> we love you. We, 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 we truly love you very much. We love what you do. We love what you bring to the game. And, uh, and we really appreciate our, our time with you. Well, I appreciate most of that, TP. And, and go Red Sox. And, and uh, I'm sure there are Yankee fans like you that uh, want to go back and remember the good old days. They can open up their Encyclopedia Britannica and go back and remember uh, when, when all those good days were. You're going to have to read about it historically because it was a long time ago, but I'm sure uh, they could go there. But I love you, man, and I can't thank you enough. You're not nice, Chris. I love you, buddy. Bye, pal. <laughs> See you, Tom. That's a great Tom Patry, P-A-T-R-I. He is absolutely fantastic. Go on his website, tompatry.com, and take him up on those lessons, tpatry at mindspring.com, and get those uh, putting tips. I'm sure they're going to be outstanding. I know I'm going to be asking them for it. So go online, check them out, send them that email, and let's uh, let's help uh, improve your putting. All right, time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again go out to Eva Rogers, Brian Jacobs, and Tom Patrick for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to keep up to date with who are you know, coming on the show, what our guest schedule looks like. And speaking of that, scheduled to join me next week, or my good friend Bob Friend Jr. It's always great having Bob here on the show and getting his insights. Former European tour and now a fantastic broadcaster on the Golf Channel, Frank Navalo is going to be back with me. And then I'll get a long overdue return visit from one of the best equipment guys in the game, and that's Michael Verska. You can also stream us on great apps like Podbean, and we can't thank those guys enough. They're going to be featuring us on their app this week, so really appreciate their continued support. And if you love podcasts about any genre, 
go check out podbean.com because they've got a really a, an array of great podcasts, like I say, across all different genres. Please also check us out on launchpaddm.com and click the subscribe button. We'd really appreciate that. You can also find the show on great sites like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audio Boom, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Player.fm, pretty much anywhere that uh, you're, you're currently listening to podcasts or you're going to find us there. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook. Go on there. You'll look up uh, Next on the T with Chris Mascaro and give us a comment. Plus, if you've got a question for somebody that uh, you'd like me to get that to, right? Some of our previous guests, somebody, if you've gone out and looked at our guest schedule, someone who's coming on, be glad to get that question on the air and answered for you. Folks, thank you again for choosing to continue to listen to this show and making us a part of your golfing content. We appreciate you so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.